Hi, my name's Danae, and I'm a part of a circle in Cuyahoga Falls. Today we're going to be reading James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. I'm so, so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome, those of you who are at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online, uh, welcome. All right, uh, one of our big goals here at CCC is to plant churches all over Northeast Ohio. And we're going to plant two churches this year by God's grace. And I introduced to you a few weeks ago one of our church planters, Lentrail Abston, who's planting in Euclid. Uh, today, I want to introduce to you our uh, next church planter, uh, John Twyman. So, John, if you will come up. Welcome, John. I'm just going to have uh, John introduce himself uh, and his family and then uh, where he is planting. Hi, my name is John Twyman. This on the front row is my lovely wife, Frankie. That's the time to clap. Clap for her, not for me. Amen. And I am the proud pastor of Revolution Church. Revolution, say hello. Yeah, I know y'all out there somewhere. Amen. We are planning on the southeast side of Cleveland, Ohio. All right, now, uh, John, you are further along in uh, the whole planting process than most of our church planters this time in the residency. Explain uh, why you're further along and then what that means. Uh, when I came to the Orchard program, we had started the thought of that we were going to be planning a church, me and my wife. And so as we came to the Orchard program back in January, I was the assistant pastor of a different church, and I thought I was transitioning into the senior pastor role. Uh, but as we started to go through that process, I recognized that the way that God wanted us to do ministry and the things that God had placed on our heart and the way we were going to do ministry, that we were going to need to do some things differently. And so God placed it on our heart to plant. And so in January, I announced that I was planning. By the second week in January, I had 35 plus people on my launch team. And now we have about 41 people on our launch team. And so uh, whereas everyone else goes into a neighborhood and builds out, I kind of came to the program with people. And so this is where we're at now. Yeah. And 41 people is a ton for a lunch team, just so you know. That's a great, great start. Now, uh, you named your church Revolution, so you are, it's no secret that you want to do things differently. Yes. Right? So uh, how, what will make Revolution Church unique in that particular neighborhood? Uh, well, there's a lot of things that I think that we are doing that are very unique. Well, one, we, are, we believe that we're doctrinally sound. So we are trying to make sure that the things that we're teaching or doing, they are still biblical and very sound. But the methods in which we're using, we think that those things are different. Uh, for instance, the fourth Sunday of every month, we call that four day. And on our four day, we want to show the world that the church and that God is for them. And so we go out and serve the community in, in the time frame that we normally would have our Sunday morning service. Instead of us gathering together for service, we gather together to pray, and then we go out and serve the community in some way so we can actually put what we're learning into action. Okay. Now, uh, how can uh, our congregation uh, help you more than 
we are right now? Uh, I'll say the same thing that I said at the very first service. First, I want to just say you guys have such tremendous leadership here at CCC. You, you clap for me and my wife. Please clap for Pastor Joe, Pastor Jimmy, Zach, all of the staff here, because they have been tremendous in working with us. Uh, and the ways that I'm you can help. I'm just going to have you repeat that part again. I will. And, I, no. and at the next service, I'm going to do it again. But uh, I don't know if you guys know, right? Uh, we are a church that's planning in a predominantly urban community, and we have partnered with a church that is not predominantly urban, so there are things, right? So there are things that we think differently, we look differently, or there's some stuff that is different about us, yet we've been able to talk and walk through and figure out best practices and best ways to be kingdom-minded and not just uh, individually-minded. So how can you help? Come and pray for us. Please, 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 we need all the prayers that you can give. Come and serve with us. Uh, I made a joke at the members meeting that I know you're not leaving this beautiful church here to come and uh, join our church down in Cleveland, but you can come serve with us any four day, any time during the week that you would like to serve. We would love to have you come serve with us. And then finally, please support uh, through your giving. Uh, so into us. And that's not just financially. Many of you have other resources. You have knowledge, you have connections, you have networks. Please allow us to tap into those so we can continue to do kingdom ministry in the greater Cleveland area. Thanks, John. You, Thank you, you can tell why we are so excited about both Lynn Trail and John. We think they're going to do great, great things. Uh, John and Frankie and part of their uh, launch team will be out in the atrium after the service. Please stop by the table. Uh, they'll be with the rest of the Orchard, or orchard uh, staff. Uh, say hi. Uh, find out when the next serve day is so you can help out. All right. Thanks, Thank John. you so much. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, we are uh, going to go back to our series on James. We are spending 10 weeks in the book of James. We already did five weeks. And then last week, uh, we took a break and had a standalone message on adoption and foster care. We did that for a reason, because James is very much into connecting our faith with our works, not just how we talk, but how we walk. And there's more to being pro-life than the way you vote and signing a petition. And we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can through adoption and foster care to care for the children in our community and around the world. All right, so if you have not yet signed up <coughs> excuse me, for the uh, adoption a fundraising gala, and you want to be a part of it, just to know what's going on and for all of us to be in this together, there's still time. You can sign up for that out in the atrium at the Next Steps area. All right, but now we're back into James, and we're in James chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. Or if you're going to use one of our Bibles, it's on page 951 in our Bibles. <clears throat> so we're going to cover the last part of James chapter 3. We covered the first part two weeks ago, so let me just catch you up. In the first part of James chapter 3, James tells us that your words matter. My words matter. And this is why. When God created all that is in Genesis chapter 1, he created all that is with words. He didn't have to, but he did. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and it was so, because there is power in the word of God. But then he created human beings, you and me, in his own image. And he gave us the capacity for language and to use words. And just like God's words are powerful, your words are powerful. Right? Your words 
matter. I just read this past week about uh, a guy named Frederick. He was one of the Holy Roman emperors back in the 13th century. And he, had, uh, he decided to try to find out what the original human language was. And the way he was going to do that is he was going to take babies. And he, he got a bunch of babies that uh, no one wanted, which is kind of interesting. There have always been babies no one wants. And we want to be the kind of church that cares for them, takes them in. But he got these babies that no one wanted, and he gave them nurses, and he uh, gave the nurses some strict instructions. They were to care for them, feed them, clothe them, even show them affection, but they were not to speak to them. They were supposed to do it in total silence because he wanted to find out what a human being would speak, what language they would speak if no one taught them how to speak. And what he found in that experiment was that every one of the babies died. We need words, and that makes us very vulnerable. Your words matter. Right? The words you speak to God and about God, the words you speak to yourself and about yourself, the words you speak to others and about others, all those words can either poison your soul and others' other souls or can nourish your soul and other souls. And James says, if we're going to use our words in a way that doesn't damage people or damage us, we need one thing. We need wisdom. And that's what this passage that we just had read to us is about. Wisdom. I'm going to pull out three points from uh, the passage that we just had read to us. I want to talk about what we all want, why we don't have it, and how to get it. Wisdom is something we all want, why we don't have wisdom, and how we get wisdom. First, what we all want. You know, there are certain things that uh, you may want that other people don't want, right, in your same row. There are certain things you may want that I don't want. I was uh, listening to sports radio a few weeks ago, and they were offering a promotion where if you won, you could win two free tickets to the Metallica concert at Rocket Mortgage Arena. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that wanted those tickets very badly. I'm not one of them. If you, if you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, uh, what's a Metallica? You're in my camp, right? You wouldn't want to go either. So there are plenty of uh, like examples of those kinds of things, but there are certain things all of us want, and wisdom is one of those things. I mean, if I were to put up kind of a spectrum here and I was going to put wisdom here and foolishness here, and I said, where do you want to be on this scale? And I said, how would you like to be here, right close to wisdom? Everyone would say, absolutely. I don't think there'd be a single person that would go, hmm, move me a little closer to foolishness. I want wisdom, but I want to dash a fool, right? <laughs> and if you said that, I would move you all the way over to foolish because <laughs> you're an idiot, right? Because there's no upside to being foolish. In, that, in any area, there's not an upside for being foolish with your family or foolish in your job or foolish with your finances, foolish in your relationships. There's no upside. This is what James says in James chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read this in the NIV. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. And James connects, connects wisdom with a good life. Now, in the Bible, a good life isn't a life free from challenges or free from trouble or even free from pain. 
What the Bible teaches is that there's no way to avoid those things in this life. But the Bible says a, a good life is how you process those things. Paul the Apostle, the book of Galatians, uh, lists out what are called the fruit of the Spirit. And what he's doing is describing a good life. Imagine if your life was chock full of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Imagine what your life would be like if that's what, how I could describe it. Right? Paul the Apostle, he wrote those words when he was on his third missionary journey. And he describes what was going on in his life at that time in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what was going on in Paul's life. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and clothing and exposure, right? He's going through all those things, and then he describes what it feels like, and he said, what I had in all that was love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. How does that happen? Right? How can that happen for you? I always think of uh, like the, the movie Back to the Future, right? They built a time machine in a DeLorean. At the beginning of the movie, uh, there was a, a thing called the flux capacitor that made... I'm going way too much into this, aren't I? Sorry. <laughs> that was uh, the, the secret to the time machine. And at the beginning of the movie, the flux capacitor needed uh, a bunch of gigawatts like that could only come from plutonium or from a strike of lightning. At the end of the movie, when the professor comes back into Marty McFly's uh, driveway... He's come from the future. He opens up the DeLorean and he starts to put all kinds of things into the flux capacitor, sticks and leaves and banana peels because anything could be used then to do what the, the DeLorean, the time machine needed to be done. So I think that a Christian life should be like that. Mine's not. I want it to be, but that's what God says it can be. Right, that every single thing that goes into my life can be processed in such a way that I get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. And you can too. The question is how, and the answer is wisdom. And we all know that deep down in some ways, because if you've ever talked to a really wise person, they seem unflappable, like just steady. And when you talk to them, they really listen to you. It's obvious they're not trying to think of the next thing they want to say. They're not trying to move the conversation into an area of expertise for them. They're really listening. And when they do speak, their words are good for your soul, good for you, even if they're hard to hear. I mean, if, if your life was full, if every person in your life was wise and spoke words of wisdom into you, your life would be completely different. If every person you came into contact with, you spoke wisdom to, 
people would long to be with you because every time they were with you, they would become better. Wisdom is what all of us want. And if it's what we all want, what we all need, why don't we have it? And that brings me to my second point, why we don't have it. This is what James says in verses 14 through 16. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Fascinating to me. And the, the interesting thing to me is that James doesn't connect wisdom with, uh, with knowledge. He doesn't connect wisdom with education. He doesn't say you're not wise because you, you haven't read the right books or even gone to the right Bible study. What James does, is he, he doesn't seem like he connects wisdom with your head at all. He connects wisdom with your heart. He says, listen, if you are not wise, if I am not wise, it's because of my heart. It's because I'm, I'm too much into me, right? He calls it selfish ambition. That's just being into me. You know, I, when I first got married, I was 21 years old when I got married to my wife, Karen. And I thought marriage was going to be easy because I had found Karen and she seemed like she was uh, absolutely completely into me. And I had been into me my whole life. So that was like a match made in heaven, right? James describes here this kind of downward spiral that has happened in countless conversations that I've had in my lifetime. He says it starts with selfish ambition. And the next thing he says is once you get there, don't boast because that's the next like spiral down. And then he says, then don't be false to the truth. You start with selfish ambition. Simply put, selfish ambition is just wanting to look good. When you want to look good. And for me, uh, I want to look good, and it's not connected to my physical appearance. It's more connected to my performance. That's the way I want. I hate looking bad in any way. You know, when my oldest daughter uh, was getting married, we took dance lessons uh, because we were going to do this father-daughter dance at the wedding. And I don't dance, can't dance, I've never danced, so hence the lessons. So I took the lessons. And then at the reception, we danced, the father-daughter dance. A few weeks later, I saw a man who happened to be at the wedding. And he said to me as he laughed, he said, Joe, I thought you'd be a better dancer. Wow, you don't know what you're doing, right? And that made me feel small. True, it was all true, but it made me feel small. Now, here's a tidbit. Someone says something to you that's true and it makes you feel small, you're probably too big to begin with, right? So he makes that comment to me and I feel deflated and I immediately want to inflate again. And that's where James says, like, once you start down that path, don't boast. But that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to somehow bring into the conversation that I was training for an Ironman triathlon at that time, which is why I wasn't a particularly good dancer. But it was really hard to bring into that conversation about dancing. I had managed to bring it into a sermon 15 years later. So, 
That's the, the next thing. Now, the next thing he says is in the spiral, first you're into you, and then you inflate, you boast, and then he says, don't be false with the truth. If that guy had asked me, oh, you're training for an Ironman. What would you do yesterday? And if the previous day had been a rest day or had been a light day, what would I have done? Well, James knows. James is talking about the power of words. James knows that words make or break relationships. Words make or break communities. Right? James is saying, listen, if you don't have wisdom, or if it's easier for you, if you don't have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness in your life, if that doesn't describe you, then you lack wisdom. And the reason you lack wisdom isn't because you're not smart enough. It's not because you haven't read the right books. It's because of your heart. You're too much into you. You want to inflate. You want to be right. And when you do that, what happens is you do damage not just to the people you talk to. You do damage to yourself. Instead of nourishing, you poison. Right? And if what we all need and what we all want is wisdom... And we don't have it because of the condition of our hearts, then how do we get it? How do we get it? That brings me to my third point. James describes what wisdom is like at the end of this passage, verse 17 and 18. He said, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Can you imagine if that's the way people described you when you weren't around? You know, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Pastor Joe. He's uh, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Imagine if wherever you went, you left a wake of a harvest of righteousness, whatever that means. It's better than the wake you're leaving, probably, right? That's what James says wisdom is like. And how do we get it if that's what we really want? And that's not what we are like. Uh, There's a whole book on wisdom uh, in the Bible called the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 1, it says in chapter 1 that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, whenever the Bible talks about fearing God, it's not usually talking about being afraid of God as much as it's, being, it's, it's talking about being amazed by God, being in awe of God, being captured by God. And if you are ever going to be in awe and captured by God, I'm going to give you three kind of parts of fearing the Lord and then one problem that you need to solve, and then we'll be done. Okay, the three parts of fearing the Lord, if you are going to be in awe, amazed, captured by God, you need to know who God is, what God says about you, and then how God feels about you. Who God is, what he says about you, how he feels about you. First, who God is. 
You can lay out on a cloudless night and look up at the stars and know something about God. I mean, the psalmist in Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky declares his handiwork. Day by day, it pours forth speech. Night after night, it declares knowledge. I mean, you can get up early in the morning, see a sunrise, and know something of the glory of God. But if you are ever going to know the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the compassion of God, the absolute love of God, then you have to read this book. There is no substitute for the Bible. You have got to read this if you want to know the true God. You have to read it constantly because if you don't read it, what will happen is you'll start to make up your own God or an idea of God and it won't be accurate. It won't be the true God. If you're ever going to be amazed, in awe, captured by God, you've got to know who he is. Then you've got to know what he says about you. And what God says about you is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are deeply broken. Deep down in your core, God will say there is no one who does good, not one who seeks righteousness. You are not what you were intended to be. No one is. But then the third thing is how God feels about you. And that's the most amazing thing is that he loves you still. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst, God loved you the very most. What we like to say around here is that even though you were more deeply flawed than you've ever wanted to admit to anybody, even yourself, because of what God has done through Jesus, you were more deeply loved than you have ever dared to dream. Those are the three parts of fearing the Lord. If you're going to be in awe, amazed, captured by him. But here's the problem. Everything I've talked uh, talked about so far is a knowledge of God. And what James says is the problem is not with your head. The problem is with your heart. I mean, if you're ever going to have wisdom, then the knowledge has to be churned into wisdom. And it does that in your heart. So how do we do that? There are two ways I can think of. One is you can have aha moments where instead of just knowing something, you feel something. I remember reading about two pastors who were watching a, a father with his toddler son walking along, and the, the father was holding his son's hand. And then suddenly he turned to his son and just swept him up in his arms and he held him tight, and his son broke out in this just glowing smile and laughing. Right? And the, one, the older pastor said to the younger pastor, said, you see that? That's the difference between knowing or uh, knowing that someone loves you and feeling it. Like when that boy was walking with his dad, he knew that his dad loved him. But when his dad swept him up into his arms, he felt it. Every once in a while, God will sweep you up into his arms and you will feel it. Don't miss those times. A couple weeks ago, I I gave you the image of when I, I grew up going to a bunch of different schools and I went to nine different schools in 12 years. And the worst time about going into a new school was going to the cafeteria. Because you get your food and you just stand there and you have no idea where to go or 
who to sit with because you don't have a people yet. And I wanted to give you the image of Jesus sitting at a table and saying, come, come here. You belong here. You belong with me. You're my people. Because that's what Jesus says. Every once in a while, you'll hear an an illustration or a story. And instead of it just hitting your head, you'll feel tears behind your eyes. That's an aha moment. That's God taking knowledge and churning it into wisdom because he's changing your heart. Another way he does that is through worship, through the way that we sing. One of the worst mistakes people make, and mostly this is men, is that uh, I've heard men say, yeah, let's skip the music and just hear what the guy has to say, right? Because men are all hit, right? That's such a mistake, I think. Because there's something that music can do that nothing else does. I remember reading a philosopher years ago who said, give me the music of a generation, and I care not who writes its laws. Give me the music of a generation, I care not who writes its laws. What's he saying? So give me the music of a generation, I'll have their hearts. Who cares who who has their heads? There is something that can happen, and that's why our worship team is always singing about who God is, what he says about you, how he feels about you. Listen, even if you are not a singer, when the worship happens, even after this message, look at the words, read them out loud. Try to allow the music itself to seep into your soul because the only way that knowledge is going to be churned into wisdom is if something happens to your heart. James says we need wisdom. Without wisdom, you're going to use words that will damage you and damage others. Without wisdom, you will not be able to process all the different things that happen in your life into love and joy and peace. You will not have what the Bible describes as a good life. But in order to get wisdom, you don't need to get smarter. Something has to happen to your heart. And it begins with the fear of the Lord, knowing who he is, what he says about you, how he feels about you. In any way that you can, let that knowledge go from your head to your heart and let it change your heart even today. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to you and uh, it is amazing uh, that uh, you are who you are and we are who we are and yet you still love us. And I, am, uh, I don't feel like I'm alone with everyone here when I say I desperately want and need more wisdom. So I pray for all of us that you will help us to take what we know in our heads and you churn that and let it change our hearts so we become more of who you want us to be. That we are uh, men and women who are full of wisdom. Because if the world has ever needed people who are full of wisdom, it's now. Thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.